Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones. It's Tuesday, and you are watching AM to DM. Here's a tweet from IGN. Watch Will Smith perform Prince Ali in this new clip from Aladdin. Uh, watch we did. You, Saeed, were not impressed tweeting, eh. It still looks like a wildly expensive high school production of Aladdin as opposed to what I've come to expect from Disney. Mm -hmm. It's colorful. Not a lot of magic. Mm -hmm. Not a lot, a lot of, of uh, pizzazz. A lot of color. A lot of money spent, but it's just it's missing something. The it's magic. Just not, it's just not quite hidden, as the youth say. <laughs> um, Vincent made this insightful critique. I hate how little Will Smith Genie does in the scene. In the original, Genie is constantly shifting from place to place, morphing into kids and men and women to hype up Prince Ali. Was it so difficult to use some of your CGI budget into making Will Smith actually use his powers? And that's an excellent point, Vincent. Mm -hmm. And I think especially damning for Disney. Have you ever watched a Disney movie and been like, where's the magic? Where's the I've magic? I've never felt that way before. I He's also just like, he's just kind of like two-stepping. He's like, yeah, like it's like, ah, Prince and Ali. Is he's a pretty okay. Yeah, performer. 100%. I have never been bored watching Will Smith perform until now. Yeah. Trash. And, and that was the thing. Like, mm -hmm. they just felt like, it felt lackluster. Yeah. And he's bored. just like. Everyone there seems a little bored. That's what it is. A little shy. Yes, absolutely. Also to the point of like what you said in the tweet where it feels like an expensive high school production. Say, you and I were talking, it's like the costumes don't look lived in. Right. It literally, they just look bright and they look colorful and they look like they just grabbed yeah. them on a rack, put them on and said, all right, let's do the yeah. number a 39th time. Right. Someone who actually works in costumes was like, yeah, listen, they are in a city and presumably in the middle of the desert, mm -hmm. you know, and so it's there, it doesn't look like a city. It mm -hmm. looks very much like a LA lot, mm -hmm. right? Um, and also, I don't know, we are in an era of just expansive CGI. I mean, from Endgame mm -hmm. to the Dragons, you know, this week and Game of Thrones and everything. So Disney, I feel like, is kind of being outshone. It's it's weird. It's almost like the bar has been risen to this point and you mm -hmm. kind of expected this, one of the best songs from one of Disney's classic animated features mm -hmm. to really feature, like, in, it, in the old version, Genie's like running around like like that tweet uh -huh. was saying, kind of impersonating different people, snapping his right. finger, magical things are happening. This was just kind of a, yeah. a one-two number. And just like, I think perhaps at the, the basic level of all this, it just makes me miss Robin Williams so much. He brought so much to the role. A lot of his little lines were like a size, like little mm -hmm. improvisations. And he, you know, he was doing so much more perhaps than he was actually asked to mm -hmm. do. And I think, I think that just speaks to, it has nothing to do with Will. I think it speaks to everything, you know, to do with Robin Williams and, and just everything we lost when we lost him. It just, my goodness. Absolutely. Also, the problem with these animated uh, movies, classics, basically, yeah, that are being action. turned into live action, uh. it's the comparison game. Mm. You can't help but compare them. Mm. And the fact of the matter is, is the memory and, 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 the, and the incredibleness that th these Disney animated features had, it's, it's always gonna, it's always gonna overshadow like the live action, yeah. in my opinion. That said, I will say, Will Smith, that picture of him as a genie came out, and we all hated on it. Then the trailer came out and all of a sudden it was like, hey, actually they might pull it off. Now this is coming out, we're all hating on yeah. it again. It does come out May 24th. Maybe they're just getting our expectations I, low. You're, you're, fair point. I think they're being insecure because again, mm. Disney, I feel like they're known for being kind of tight-lipped. They mm. don't just like give out a lot of clips and everything. Like, I don't know if I've seen any of the characters from The Lion King speak yet. That's so it. I feel like they're putting out as much as possible because they're nervous. Well, that Lion King is one that I'm actually excited yeah. for. So we'll let's take you to the timeline. Where are you at in terms of excitement for Aladdin? On a scale of the Lion King <laughs> to Dumbo, which did you know that came out? I remember seeing posters for it, and then I guess, is it here? Did it I hadn't happen? heard a thing about it. Okay. Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. Womp womp. Well, here's a tweet from Law360 reporter Chris Villani. Felicity Huffman leaves federal court without commenting, holding hands with her brother. Very somber photo there. That photo was taken yesterday after Huffman pled guilty in the college admissions scandal. Chris, who is in the courtroom, joins us now. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're doing okay. Uh, listen, tell us, you were there. You were in the courtroom yesterday. What was the mood like? Well, it's a pretty straightforward proceeding. She was there to plead guilty yesterday to the single charge against her. She did get emotional, though, at one point. You'll remember about a month ago when she announced she was going to plead guilty, she was very forceful in defending her daughter, saying her daughter had nothing to do with this, didn't know anything about it. And she mentioned that again in court yesterday. 
that was the point where she got emotional. She broke down. She had to stop a couple of times and collect herself before she could continue and keep talking. But it was, uh, other than that, pretty much your straightforward guilty plea, minus, of course, media and uh, reporters and everybody else that had swarmed the courthouse from all over the place and conversations that you don't typically hear in federal court, like what color was her sweater. Other than that, it was pretty much your straightforward guilty plea hearing. Okay, and so what exactly did she plead guilty to, and and what is she up against? Um, you know, it seems like prosecutors have been very aggressive with this case thus far. They've been super aggressive with this case. They're actually using the types of tactics that they would typically use against mob bosses and drug kingpins against wealthy parents who may have bribed their kids way into college. But she pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit what's called honest services mail fraud and mail fraud. That's a federal crime. Maximum penalties up to 20 years. That's the number that you hear. Nobody ever does the max. Like I talked about that with you guys the last time I was on. She's facing four to 10 months in prison. Prosecutors are going to recommend four months. I would be very surprised, given the fact she has no criminal history. It's a relatively small amount of money, 15000 compared to the hundreds of thousands some of these other parents are charged with spending. Uh, and the judge in this case is not one who's known for being overly harsh with sentencing. So I would be very surprised if Felicity Huffman does any prison time at all. Okay, you'd be surprised if she sees any jail time. Let me ask, uh, when will this sentence actually be handed down now that she's pled guilty? And I also want to check in, how's Lori Lachlan doing? Uh, well, the sentencing is going to be in September, September 13th. That's when she's uh, due back, Felicity Huffman, that is. As for Lori Lachlan, she's still fighting the case. Now, she faces a very different set of circumstances than Felicity Huffman. For one, she's facing an additional charge, money laundering conspiracy, also, the amount of money alleged for her is hundreds of thousands of dollars, half a million, as opposed to the 15000 And she's still fighting the case. She's not cooperated to this point. So she's proceeding forward as if they're going to trial. And for those who are in the range of money that we're talking about for Lori Lachlan, the hundreds of thousands, the federal sentencing guideline range is more like three to four years in prison as opposed to four to 10 months. So Unless she beats the case here, unless she's found not guilty, they drop the charges, something like that. It's hard to imagine a scenario where Lori Lachlan escapes prison time. It's just too serious of a charge and too serious of a case at this point. And as you mentioned right off the top, these prosecutors are not playing around. Yeah. Well, okay. I understand why, you know, obviously Felicity Huffman and Lori Lachlan and her husband are more prominent, you know, public citizens, uh, public figures for different reasons. Um, but this case has involved, you know, all kinds of other families. So we also wanted to ask, have there been any other significant um, highlights or cases with families that may not be household names? Sure. In fact, you can just go to yesterday. There was another uh, guilty plea. It was the same hearing, an L.A. CEO uh, named Devin Sloan. And he's not somebody that a lot of people know. He was probably more than happy to share the stage with Felicity Huffman yesterday because 99% of the attention was focused on her for obvious reasons. But that was a particularly interesting set of facts. Now, he pled guilty. And part of this scheme was creating these fake athletic profiles he actually went pretty far to make it seem like his kid was going to be on the water polo team by going so far as to go on to Amazon, buying water polo gear, putting it on his kid, and then taking pictures of him in the pool to make it look like he was playing water polo. Like That's how weird and, and sort of ridiculous uh, some of these uh, allegations have gotten against some of these parents. He also pled guilty. He spent uh, a lot more money, $250,000. He's facing more prison time potentially than Lori Lachlan. He may actually go to prison uh, for a few months as opposed to uh, Felicity Huffman, I mean, who's going to escape prison time, I think, uh, entirely. But there are uh, parents here that, yeah, you may never have heard the names, but the allegations against them are pretty weird. And I, I, maybe that sums up the entire story. It's a pretty weird story of parents going to uh, some unusual lengths to get their kids into places like USC and UCLA. I, man, Thanksgiving in these households this year. <laughs> I would love to see it. Uh, Chris, as always, thanks for joining us this morning. My pleasure, guys. The um, man I, has knowledge. <laughs> I have a tweet here about, you know, the high school production of Aladdin, <laughs> and Angel Nafis replied, girl, what high school did you go to? You <laughs> <laughs> said it looked like I an expensive high, high school. school. <laughs> I didn't say my school had that kind of Just budget, talking but. about the feel of it, the vibe <laughs> Where of did Lori Lachlan's kids go to school? I bet that's what their high school production of Aladdin looked like. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, uh, Senator and 2020 presidential candidate Kamala Harris recently tweeted, this week, the House is expected to vote on the Equality Act to include sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes under the Civil Rights Act. It's long past time we codified these protections. I am proud to support this bill in the Senate. We have to get it done. And here's a tweet from you, Saeed, quoting a recent statement from a senior administration official. The Trump administration absolutely opposes discrimination of any kind and supports the equal treatment of all. However, I just love this because it's like the, however, Trump, the Trump administration absolutely of all kinds. <laughs> however, 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 so as you might note, that however is doing a lot of work, and here's why. According to Washington Blade reporter Chris Johnson, President Trump has come out against the Equality Act, which is expected to be voted on this Friday. So I guess it's not so absolute after all. A absolutely not. That's a big however. Chris Johnson, chief political reporter for the Washington Blade, joins us now. Chris, good morning. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Listen, let's let's start with the what if. If it becomes a law, what would the Equality Act actually do? Right. Well, the Equality Act is pretty straightforward. It would amend the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to prohibit discrimination against LGBT people, to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah, so uh, it's... it's <laughs> that, that sounds good. I'm a little overwhelmed. <laughs> I mean, to me, of course, it's one of those things where I, when I have to remind myself in 2019 that in about 30 states, people do not have workplace protections if they are LGBT. Um, why is this law finally, or this act, Riley, finally perhaps being debated now? Well, I mean, uh, the Democrats have uh, claimed a majority in the House of Representatives now for the first time uh, in a number of years. And with the Democrats in control, uh, control of that chamber, they're able to uh, move forward with the uh, Equality Act. The Republicans, uh, when they were in control of the House, they had blocked it up for, for, uh, okay. for when they were in control. Okay, so it's got a chance of getting past the House. Let me ask you, though, a chance of getting past the Senate, really? I mean, that's really, a, it'd be a miracle if that would happen. I mean, I, I, right now, the uh, Republicans got 53 seats and need to get uh, 60 votes in order to move through legislation. I mean, it would take a miracle to get, um, you know, all the Democrats. First of all, uh, Joe Manchin's been a holdout, and then he got to get all, uh, you know, I think it's like a 13 Republicans or something to agree to it. So um, the Senate is a really tall order to fill, extremely tall order. Tall order to fill there. And I see some of the pushback against this bill, presumably from people in the Trump administration as well, is concerns over religious freedom. My question is... Have there been any alternatives loaded? Like, is there a, a, a different version of this bill that would, you know, take care of LGBT rights and also, I guess, would just address concerns of religious conservatives? Well, there's no alternative bill, but I mean, the, the legislation that's proposed, it keeps the, it amends the Civil Rights Act, and that has a religious exemption in the bill that's pretty narrow. It basically, like if you're a pastor and uh, it, it gives you the right to preach wherever you want to preach under the First Amendment, and if you want to refuse to marry a same-sex couple and you're a pastor, you can do that. And so, you know, all the the all the, the religious exemption that we have right now for protected classes like you know race and 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 gender, national origin, uh, that would be uh, with the Equality Act, uh, that, that'd be the same thing. So, um, I mean, the, 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 the long story short, the Equality Act does uh, have a degree of of, uh, of religious exemption to protect the two and ensure that the uh, First Amendment is not abridged. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there for now. We'll see how this vote pans out on Friday. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thank you. All right, listen, we've got another great show for you today. Rhett Miller of the old 97s is here. But up next, we're doing Fire Tweets. Fire! Fire! Can I complain for a moment? Please. That's the whole point. <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> Uh, what is up with this weather in New York City? And it, apparently it's not just New York City, though someone tweeted me and said it's very sunny in Columbus. Thank you, Maggie. Uh, but man, it has been a dreary, drippy May. Yeah, let me tell oh you, spring, I'm all about like, listen, I know it gets rainy in April. April flowers, spring May. Sure, er, May flowers. Showers, you know what yeah, I'm trying yeah. to say. Uh -huh. May has been 
a jerk. And you try to cut it some slack. You try to say, okay, right? first week of May, no problem. But it's like, we are, you know, you're going through it, climate change, Exactly. You know? But we are in May, and it is like Seattle up in New York cold. City. It was 43 degrees this morning. Yeah. I have no idea what to wear to work every day. Is there any, like, anything on the horizon? Any, any like, I, hope? I think it's supposed to warm up later this week, but I, I don't know. It has been. So if you know anybody in New York, if you're on the timeline and you're seeing people maybe feeling a little dreary yeah. here on the East Coast, it's because we're dealing with that. New Yorkers aren't angry. We're sad. Yeah, All right. Let's, let's, let's warm up. Let's fire tweets. This first one comes from Maddie. Yes, okay, I will get over it. But first, I have to be dramatic. Who? Okay. I felt bad. We'll get over this weather. I, <laughs> but first, but we, we have, have to be dramatic, be dramatic about, it. about it first. I felt this in my soul. Yes, that it's is a part very of the much process. And, but then I do get it. Then you're like, oh, what's That's the big really? deal? And it's like you were the one doing a Prince Ali about it yesterday. <laughs> you're the one that thought it was a big deal. And I'm like, nah. Gotta work right. it out. AK, you tweeted them. I saw you. You looked dead at me. Damn, you can't speak. You were just gonna keep walking. What I saw. <laughs> and you can you can take that full screen. That is uh, blurry. That's people without that's really funny without glasses on. I feel you screaming. I feel you so hard. Also, I'm sorry. I'm still thinking over that. Yeah, I'll get over it. I got to be dramatic first. Is that what Daenerys is thinking? <laughs> I'll be calm. I'll be a good. I'll ruler. be a great leader. I just got to kill a few Once thousand people or a million it. people first. Anyway, <laughs> all right. This next week comes from Tristan. <laughs> Tristan, you tweeted, can someone call an Uber? Everybody at the pregame acting like they don't have a phone. Ooh, mm. bad, bad. I'm guilty of this. I'm not because I'm a Sagittarius. I'm the one that's like, I've just called my own Uber. It's out front. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Good luck. I'll see you can there. Can I get it right? No. I will see you there, friends. Ava <laughs> okay. hey, Wolf, you tweeted, who among us has not seen King Tut's remains and thought, damn, that cheesesteak looks good as hell. Disgusting. <laughs> That's so gross. Do you like cheesesteaks? Hell yeah. Okay. And That's I like mummies. But it does this, look- is a, this is a good Venn diagram of my interests. Wow. True. Okay. All right. Tweet of the day comes from Carrie Howley. You tweeted. Maybe somebody could hold a job fair or something where the 20 presidential candidates learn there is a job called senator. Oh, my God. And I think, think, Carrie, you have to update your tweets. I think it's 22 now. Maybe 23. I think there's some some other guy I just announced. The current governor of Montana. Steve? Steve? I think he's a Matt. A Matt. I'll tell you this. (laughs) If someone was to give me a million dollars to name every single Democratic candidate at this point, I bet you— Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't get 75%. That should be like some, like, local TV station do it on the street. Yeah. And Bill de Blasio. Don't get me started. Coming up, don't even speak that into existence. I'm going to sit down with singer and writer Rhett Miller, but up next, Sara Yassin is going to talk about Ramadan memes. Stay tuned. Welcome back. I'm Sara Yassin, director of BuzzFeed News Curation. Here's a tweet from Meha. My favorite part about Ramadan is the memes. Please keep them coming. It's Ramadan, so I'm here with Tabir Akhtar, who works with me here at BuzzFeed, and we're going to talk about one of our favorite traditions, memes. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. You love the Ramadan memes, don't you? Oh, I love the Ramadan memes. They're pretty great. So Muslim Twitter has given us some really good memes recently. What do you think of the best ones out there? Well, so Ramadan's a really important month for all of the Muslims celebrating around the world. Um, it's time for community and reflection. And a lot of people say when they fast, they f- experience this sharpening of the mind because of you know the fasting. So I think we can see that in the memes because they're pretty good. I mean, they're pretty sharp memes and they're so sharp that even my non-Muslim friends send them to me. It's happening to me too. I know, What's they're like on? all up in my WhatsApp. Um, are they good? They're actually pretty good, which I think is a good example of creeping Sharia. <laughs> um, so let's talk about a few of our favorites. Um, here's a tweet from Nehla. No one's asked me, not even water this year. I'm impressed. Okay, we have to talk about the not even water jokes. This is like the lowest level of Ramadan meme and yeah. joke. I think yeah. we should advance past it. The issue is that every year, no matter what, we get asked, Not Not even water. Not even water. Every person who fasts get asked this question, and it's like people are preparing to ask them. The answer is no, not even water. Just don't ask. Well, 
Now it's time to hear from Miriam, who tweeted, me during Ramadan eating in front of men who ask why I'm not fasting. Uh, I love this meme. It's pretty good. Um, I Have you ex- experienced this? I mean, yeah. Like, I feel like every woman who gets to eat because she is on her period should just get to eat. Just eat in public. Eat Do in it. Peace. Live Don't your ask. life. Probably should avoid the men who uh, ask these sort of questions. I agree. Yeah. Good call. So Zainab tweeted, I can't wait for Ramzan. I will wake up for Sehri, then keep my Rosa until the Azan for Maghrib. Then I'll have Iftari, then do Namaz. So Sarah, I think you meant uh, Iftari, and I think you meant Rosa, and I think you meant Namaz. Is that true? You know what? I tried. I tried. And I feel like just as old as Muslim memes are the wars over pronunciation and like what so my favorite Ramadan tradition is to fight with you guys about this. I know, I remember. I learned about this in school. CEO Hadji tweeted, when you kept thinking about how much food you're going to eat at iftar, and after two samosas, you feel full. Okay, like, I don't know why this happens, and I'm sure you know, like, this has happened to you too. You think about what you're going to eat all day while yeah. you're fasting. Yeah, and you then when it's fantasize finally time to about eat, it. You just, you can't, you can't eat anything. Yeah, I don't know, it's It's a phenomenon. It's ridiculous. Like, I feel like there were days when I would sit there and plan what I was going to eat when I was a kid, and then when the time came, I was just like, eh. Yeah, Yeah. two samosas, that's it. Here's a tweet from Parry Days. It's time to get in the spirit of Ramadan. Yes, this is my favorite uh, Ramadan tweet so far. I love Ricky Thompson, obviously. Um, And I think it just really captures sort of the celebratory... Uh, spirit of Ramadan. It also ca- like it also captures how wholesome the memes have been so far. Like super wholesome, super earnest. Like this year has been the year of earnest Ramadan memes. I'm here for it. So Tabir, you're way better at me than finding these memes. So because I'm kind of old, <laughs> but tell us who are the people we need to be following for Ramadan memes. Um, so I have a few people. I have, I have some suggestions. Um, They're always good on Twitter, but especially during Ramadan. One of my favorites is Miski. Her handle is as Muse Gold. Oh, she's great. I love her. She's, she's had a really great iced coffee meme that I appreciated. Um, and then another really great follow is Ahmad Mazari. Um, his last, I think it's M-A-Z-H-A-R-I. Um, he has great Muslim memes generally, but also just great Twitter content in general. Always good content. Tabir, thank you so much. Up next, we're going live from the district. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News DC editor, Sarah Mims. Good morning, Sarah. Morning. Sarah, I'm Morning, guys. How's it going? Well, you know, terribly. What's the weather like in DC? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it's fine. You know, it's been raining a couple days, but it's good now. Okay. Right. Maybe maybe we got sunny sunny skies ahead. Maybe. I doubt it. <laughs> uh, so it's very nice. Okay. <laughs> I like your optimism. I don't believe in it, though. Here's the thing. Um, I'm having a case of deja vu with the news. Um, I, I, you know, took some time off this weekend. I went out of town. And then when I checked back in, Sunday, it was like trade war, tariffs, China. And I was like, wait, I thought, haven't we been here before? Where is this coming from? Yeah, I mean, we're we're basically in the same position that we were in July when the tra- when the tariffs were first announced by Trump. He's just doing this again. Um, we're going through exactly the same thing. Things kind of went into this weird lull for a while, and now we're right back at it on the verge of a trade war. Uh, Trump on Friday announced that the tariffs were going to go from ten percent to twenty five percent. Now China's hitting back, so yeah, it's definitely deja vu. Wow, it's deja vu, but it's an ongoing fight, and it's serious. Here's a tweet from CBS this morning, quoting Senator Tom Cotton. Though there will be some sacrifice on the part of Americans, I grant you that, but also that sacrifice is pretty minimal compared to the sacrifices that our soldiers make overseas that are fallen heroes or laid to rest. You gave him way too much vocal inflection. That was a yeah, there's a lot going on a, there. A reach, Sarah. You can't see me, but a what I'm stretch. doing is reaching. Yes. Uh, so, so that seems like a lot. But, but second, more importantly, why are Republicans supporting a trade war that will have a direct negative impact on their own constituents, and how are they selling it to them? Well, uh, yeah, they do not support these tariffs, right? These are so antithetical to what Republicans actually believe. They know that it's going to hit farmers. They know that their constituents are farmers. And yet they've basically resigned themselves to, we're not going to win this fight. 
Trump is way more popular than we are in a lot of cases. They're basically afraid of him, of him calling them out of a primary challenger or something like that. So they're really not doing anything. Um, they might grumble about it in the Senate hallways, but at the end of the day, they say, well, you know, the president wants to do it, so we're going to support him. Wow. So the thing that I find interesting about trade wars and tariffs is that, you know, usually macroeconomics are just like big numbers. It can seem abstract to the regular person, including myself. Right. But when you get to tariffs, it's like, oh, well, now gas prices are expensive or the specific product, you know, you like to go buy at the grocery store actually costs more money. So when will uh, Americans begin seeing those kinds of impacts? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of an open question. So this first, this next round, I guess, of tariffs is going to go into effect on June 1st. What Trump's talking about doing now that China has retaliated with its own tariffs is expanding the tariffs and applying them to all Chinese products. That would be really bad. Um, Chinese products are not just things that we think of, you know, high tech, uh, iPhones, iPads, things like that. It, it, it goes way further down than that. I mean, clothing products. Basically, like if you walk into a Target, like a vast majority of those things would be hit by that next round if we get there. Um, and that's really going to have, uh, you know, it's, it's unclear what the impacts are going to be, but certainly, you know, people who are already struggling to get by in this country, having something go up by two, three percent can actually be pretty devastating. Yeah, and make things unaffordable. There's also people, like, I, I just yeah. want to ask, not that I myself have a 401k, but I did see a lot of people tweeting about the stock market yesterday. Are we already seeing, like, I know this is all just, like, a little bit in the future, but are we already seeing effects of Trump's announcement? Yeah, I mean, the stock market definitely was responding to Trump's announcement yesterday. It kind of feels like, you know, every couple of months, Trump announces some policy that, you know, that the market wasn't expecting the market goes way down. We all freak out. And then I think the market is sort of like the rest of us, where at a certain point you're just like, oh, this like weird, crazy thing that I felt really passionate about yesterday is now just like very normal because I have to go to work um, and just like continue to make it through the day. And so it ends up leveling out. You know, I am not an economist. I have no idea if that's going to rebound, but that is it seems to be the pattern recently. And I think you really just summed up Damn. what it's like to live under this administration. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. It's like, shit, the market has Sunday sads, too. Yeah, I don't know. Right? <laughs> the market's also like, yeah, Whoa. we don't fucking know. Oh, boy. Listen, up next, I sit down with singer and writer Rhett Miller. Stay tuned. Welcome back. This is The Sit Down, and I'm joined by singer Rhett Miller of one of my favorite bands, The Old 97s, and he's the author of a new children's book, No More Poems, a book in verse that just gets worse. How are you doing, Rhett? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for coming in. Let's start with the title, man. What, what do you mean? No More Poems. That's a hard sell for me. I really like poetry. No More Poems, a book in verse that just gets worse. Um, I found out a lot of things after the fact with this book. Like, first of all, in the children's literature world, poem is like the bottom of the barrel. Like, nobody wants poetry. They put you off in a whole different section. I grew up really loving poetry. Mm -hmm. Shel Silverstein, Roald Dahl, Edward Gorey. Of course. And, uh, and so that was what inspired me to write this. I was reading it with my kids, and as I was doing it, I thought, I could do some version. I mean, this isn't that different from what I do as a songwriter. And what are the comparisons there? What are some of the things that you see as similar? Well, uh, the, I immediately think of like what's very different. Like with songs, I sit down, I have no idea what I'm gonna write about. Mm -hmm. I just kind of go stream of consciousness and then I look at it afterwards. Sometimes even after like it's been released, I'll play it for my mom and my mom will say like, oh, I think that's about whatever, your dad. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, um, but with children's, Poetry, like I'll usually think, uh, I'll work completely backwards from how I normally work with songs, where I'll think of like, what kind of character am I thinking about? And usually it's like an unreliable narrator or maybe even like an unlikable character. That's kind of my favorite thing is to go in and, uh, and give the kids who are reading it, and initially it was my kids because they were my first audience, an opportunity to use their deductive powers mm. to figure out like, well, what's really happening here? Is this is does this girl really have uh, purple pox? Is that a thing, <laughs> or did she just you know want to stay home from school today? You know, or is this dad really think his daughter is gonna push her brother out the window? Is this a real thing? No. <laughs> you so, want the kids to be able to kind of discern things for themselves. Yeah, I think people underestimate how intelligent kids are and how mm. savvy kids are. Mm. So I really wanted to give the kids the benefit of the doubt. 
Yeah, you did mention there is a poem in here, right? There, one of these is really about don't kill your siblings. <laughs> and you've gotten like a little flack for that. Can you just talk a little bit more about why you want to trust your young readers? Well, like I said, I, I know with me uh, raising my own kids, and I have uh, two, my daughter just turned 13 and my son's full teenager. <laughs> so um, raising them, I really wanted to trust them. Mm. And I really wanted them to know, I'm going to trust you until you really give me a reason not to. And that started at a young age. Like, uh, you know, we, we talked about a lot of things in, like, real talk. You mm -hmm. know, like, we talked about... Um, the hard feelings that you grapple with, even at a really, or maybe even especially at a really young age. Mm. I know when my own little brother was born, my feelings of sibling rivalry were intense, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, in that poem, the one that sparked a little controversy, I just, I really wanted it to be funny mm. and I really wanted it to deal with like a real thing uh, in a hyperbolic way. Yeah. Which is the way that the kids see the world sometimes, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I felt that anger, even as an adult, right? Even you have, you have those moments where you feel that anger, and I think it's important to kind of address it head on. You mentioned that you had kids. Are they proud of you for, for becoming a kids book author? Did they like the poems? When you, did they help you workshop them? You know what? Getting them to admit that they're proud of me is like pulling teeth. <laughs> and, um, but it, that's, that's, it's really sweet. Like they know that they, they're in a safe space with me always. So they roast me all the time. They make jokes that are, you know, borderline or fully inappropriate, whatever. Like they know with me it's okay. Uh -huh. Like at school they can't get away with some of this stuff. But with me, they're allowed to just like go to town. And so when they finally saw this and it came out and it was a real book, uh -huh. um, both of them had a moment where they looked at me and were like, wow, dad, this is really cool. Like, I didn't think you were gonna really do this. I'm like, I know, I didn't think I was either. How did this even happen? <laughs> you're a little bit though, like, I've been telling you, it's gonna, it's gonna work out. I gotta ask though, you're just saying they roasted you a little bit. Do you have, is there like one burn that sticks in your mind? Is there one that you'd be willing to share? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> So, like, there's always family meetings or whatever, and at one point, and my son, like, I expect it from him, but my daughter, is she's, like, really sweet, and she's just getting a, more uh, funny and uh, acerbic, perhaps, as she gets older. So I said, okay, team meeting, team meeting, and she goes, you're off the team. <laughs> like, right away. I'm like, oh, okay. It's the ones you love that can that, that yeah. hurt you, that hurts you the most. Listen, but that's, listen, this is a new, this is a new uh, art career for you. You have been a musician. Oh, 97, incredible band. What made you want to kind of write this book? And, 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 and do you kind of like, are you enjoying putting on a different artistic hat? Well, I've, I'm now 48 years old, which I don't know how that happened. My I also don't, I want to ask you about your skincare real quick too. Let's get it, you answer this question first. Um, but my, uh, you know, so my band started when I was 23. I've been living in nightclubs that smell like, you know, barely mopped up beer my whole life, like gross dressing rooms. Um, so now that I'm a dad and my kids are like, they really start to pay off. Like when they're little, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of like, you know, things that are easy to complain about. And when they get older, it's true, bigger kids, bigger problems, but it's also the payoff is so much bigger. Like they are mm. people now and we have these really sweet, heavy conversations. And so as they were kind of coming into this new age, like these poems are really my way of feeling them out, working mm. at the things that they were working through. And and like, I really love it. It's like, uh, it's this whole suite. It's like the flip side of the rock and roll coin because it's mm. like, um, you know, it's like this sweet, there's an innocence to it. There's a, uh, there's so much of what I do is really jaded. You know, the old 97s, it's always been about this old nightclub stole my youth and this kind of feeling of like, oh, man, you know, if I, you know, if the rock and roll don't kill me, the drinking's gonna, or whatever, you know? <laughs> but with kids, you know, you're, you're starting over and it's this mm -hmm. really sweet thing. So I've, I've loved it and I thought, when I finished this batch of poems in Little Brown, which has been so great to me, mm. this company I work with, uh, when Little Brown decided they were gonna put it out, I kind of thought, okay, well, that's it, I'm done. And I can't shake it. So <laughs> I've written another book. I've written all the more poem. I just, I think it's something that is now going to be a part of my life forever. It's, it's really sparked something in you, which is awesome. I understand you've got a kid's book. You're all right, don't try to flip this around. <laughs> don't try to flip this around because I do want to ask you, skincare, for real. What do you, what do, you do? How are you keeping it sharp? I do nothing. Really? And I, and I honestly, I, I believe that maybe that's a good thing. I think the, the less you mess with stuff, just the better. Like I don't, like wash my hair a couple of times a week. Uh, I, I don't put soap on my face. I just put water on it. 
So let's not go crazy. Easy for a beautiful man to say. That's all I'm going to say on that. Listen, like I said, huge old 97s fan. But your audience is growing up kind of with you. And that's how I feel, to be honest. Um, Most Messed Up, the first song, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. And that, it's one of my favorite songs because I kind of feel for it. But in listening to it, I'm like, oh, this is kind of an older guy's song. And the fact that I'm... You know, connecting with it maybe says something about me as well. What's it like to kind of to grow older with your audience and to try and make new music, especially in the world of rock and roll that's so focused on the young? Well, that's what I thought too. When when I I had a full scholarship to Sarah Lawrence College mm-hmm. when I finished high school, and I went off one semester, and I was like, I gotta do music. You know, give throw away the scholarship like a dummy. Now, as a, <laughs> as a parent with no real savings for college, I'm like, wow. I hope my kids don't do that because I would freak out. But um. But my idea was that there is a sell-by date on rock and roll. Like, when Mm. you hit 30, you are out. Mm -hmm. But then the kind of music that I wound up making, and maybe I think this is true, maybe in general for music more than it used to be, but especially with kind of rootsy Americana music. um, Like, Willie Nelson is my hero. Willie Nelson is in his 80s. I mean, Mm -hmm. he is... He's been doing this longer than you know most people have been alive. Right. And um, so I, you know, it, I wasn't really able to write songs that I felt like were that that acknowledged that mm. until recently, though, because you know when you're young, you're so in the moment. But then as as now I'm into my 40s and I'm and I've sort of wound up mentoring younger people. My my podcast drops today an episode mm. with Trapper Shep, who's this Milwaukee kid who's so great. I think he's playing New York City tomorrow. Mm. Trapper is amazing. 20 years almost to the day younger than me. And he's like young and he's optimistic and he's tall and good looking and I hate him. <laughs> but um, but Tra- Trapper's great. And, and I, I, I'm not going to claim any particular mentorship, but I've definitely been around for a while in his career and tried to help him and give him whatever advice I can give him. But um, I know for me, like I have a perspective on what I do and what I've been doing now for 35 years. That, um, that I wasn't able to acknowledge as a songwriter until recently. And now it's fun. Now I can be like, oh, yeah, I can write songs that, you know, they'll go out in the world and, like, kind of give people advice. And in a way, that's what Wheels Off My Podcast is all about. It's just yeah. talking about how do you make a life out of this? How do we keep making art sometimes in a world that, you know, can beat you down and make you feel like, well, A, we're not going to pay you, but B, we're also going to kind of make you feel stupid for having chosen this profession because <laughs> there's a lot of good jobs out there that will give you help. Yeah, and three, we're going to tell you that we're going to throw you out after 30. Yeah. That, like you said, is obviously not the case. And, and say the name of the podcast one more time. Wheels Off. Wheels Off. There's a new episode today. You can definitely check it out. Rhett, thank you so it's much Isaac. for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. The book is No More Poems, a book in verse that just gets worse Up next, Saeed is talking to Tony nominee Brandon Uranowitz. Be right back. All right, so for the last few weeks, we've been celebrating Broadway with our segment called Drama Queens. Why? Because I love drama and I'm a queen. Joining us on the couch today is three-time Tony Award nominee Brandon Uranowitz. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. 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 I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, okay, so congratulations on your third Tony nomination for this. Thanks. How does it feel when it's like third time around? Are are you still excited? It's still still stunning. Okay. Like, truly. Yeah. Do you have any rituals? Well, for when I get nominated. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I've got this routine. No, 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 it's, you know, the thing is, is it's like... You're not, it's not like a nine to five job right. every day. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's not like getting employee of the mm-hmm. month for doing mm-hmm. the same thing. It's like a new project every time. Mm-hmm. So just to know that your work in this new project, doing something new and different, mm-hmm. um, gets recognized is always thrilling yeah, and exciting. You're kind of always starting over. Yeah, exactly. To the next. Exactly. Um, for people who haven't seen you in Burn This yet, how would you uh, describe the show? Uh, I mean, at its core, mm-hmm. Burn This is is just about four people sort of coping with the death of someone very close to them mm-hmm. um, and how that, like, vulnerable state just kind of opens you up to new possibilities, closes you off to others, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, it, it, it forces us to all look inward and find out what's important to us and who's important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really just about those four people communicating with each other and trying to live their best lives, hmm. I guess. While all yeah. that is also... While all of that on. is circling around yeah. them, yeah. I was gonna tell you, it's got a little, it's got a little heat. 
Oh, Not just from the na- I was wa- I'll tell you oh, I was walking fire. down it's the fire. there's fire I was walking down the street and I saw the posters of uh, Carrie Russell and Adam Driver. Yeah, it's I was like, like oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You sweat a little. You sweat a little. <laughs> What's it like bringing that aspect of the play to life? Well, what I love about that mm-hmm. is um, that's sort of what you think you're going into, okay. and it's definitely there. Uh-huh. But I think the actual experience of the show surprises mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you will belly laugh, even mm-hmm. though there's all of this right. like sensual heat happening mm-hmm. on stage between <laughs> Carrie yeah. Russell and uh-huh. Adam Driver, which mm-hmm. is like not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. Um, but it's really funny, and my character is like, you know, this flouncy gay guy who I just sort it. of runs around and, and makes people feel better that's and makes them laugh. That's great. Yeah. And you said you relate to your character. Is that very much? I mean, you're pretty funny. You you made me you made me feel Thanks better when you walked out this morning. Thank so you. Is that your, was that your entry point to the character? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like my entry point into the world. Really, yeah. is like the humor. I guess. I love that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but like as a as a gay man mm-hmm. growing up at a certain time, mm-hmm. um, it's probably different now, mm-hmm. which is beautiful and wonderful because we've made a lot of progress. But right. being in the closet mm-hmm. and growing up having to sort of put on this false facade mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in order to get people to acknowledge and right. like me, I used humor right. as a way mm-hmm. of, as my way in mm-hmm. to, to people and to relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of like my suit of armor that I would put on every day to go to high school just to like survive. Right. Um, and that's sort of what this character does, mm-hmm. you know, to deal with grie- the grief of losing his friend. But also, you know, the play takes place in the 80s. And while we don't explicitly address the AIDS epidemic, mm-hmm. it's just sort of like an undercurrent mm-hmm. um, sort of riding through the whole Mm-hmm. Play and yeah. so my my character is also coping with that as well. Just like his community is just sort of disappearing around him, so he uses humor um, as a means of survival and mm-hmm. as a means of protection. And that is certainly something that I can right. relate to, um, because on the surface it can feel, uh, you know, like superficial and just funny for funny's sake. But mm-hmm. it's really kind of grounded in something a little bit darker, which is. Absolutely. Fun to play. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, right? I, I think of um, the humor. Um, I think camp. I think yeah. the fabulousness or or shade. All of those in some ways, I think, often come from uh, queer people finding, how do I find a way in? You yeah, know, yeah. To, how do I become well, how a do part I of get, the social well, right. space? How do I get right. people to acknowledge my right. existence beyond just mm-hmm. my sexual orientation. Totally, totally. How do you I know, humanize myself? Right. All these dishumanation. Um, I also wanted to ask you, you know, even recently, we still see, and they're, of course, very talented and doing wonderful performances, but uh, straight actors mm-hmm. uh, winning Tonys for mm-hmm. playing gay characters. Mm-hmm. when uh, And Oscars. Yeah, and Oscars. The, hello. And there's <laughs> certainly no shortage of queer people in Hollywood, but certainly not in the theater, uh, who could play these roles. How do you feel about that? I'm sure it's complicated. It is complicated because... I would love to get to a place mm-hmm. where truly the best person for the role, whoever walks into that audition room or you know puts puts themselves on tape or whatever, mm-hmm. the best person for the role who can most convincingly tell that story mm-hmm. should get the job. Mm-hmm. I think that's a place to that we should get to mm-hmm. eventually. But the balance is so tipped the other way now um, that. You know, I do think queer youth do not see enough of themselves playing themselves um, in the, the in show business. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so until we get an equal opportunity to be like productive members of society and mm-hmm. productive members of show business, mm-hmm. and until the the scales are balanced, um, I think we need to give queer people the opportunity to tell their own stories. Um, because again, it is, it is, a, a like a hot button issue, I think. And also, I, I don't know. I, I, I do feel that, that we as queer people, you know, can tell our own, our own stories. Absolutely. And you sure. know, I mean, and, and also, I mean, there's something about theater, um, which, you know, for so many of us, like, like you were saying, like humor being our kind of entry yeah, point yeah, when yeah. we're trying to find our way into the world, especially when we're younger. Theater, um, for a lot of us, myself included, yeah. was like that as well when I was younger. And so um, it's always been, I guess, the persistence 
of homophobia in theater has always been a bit odd to me, given that theater's often yeah, stereotyped I mean, it, as yeah, being. Yeah, it, it's it's you know, there's not there's definitely more of it, I think, in yeah, Hollywood sure. than there is in in theater. And I it, it's, oh, so we're more likely to see queer characters played by gay people or queer people on screen. No, 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 both by straight people. Oh, okay, on okay, screen. Okay, got you it. know than we are in theater, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it's it's. It's all money driven, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. is the problem. And especially in Hollywood, I do feel like, and especially with tra- the transparency of social mm-hmm. media and everything mm-hmm. now, like back in the day, actors were sort of these mysterious creatures mm-hmm. and we didn't really know a lot about their own mm-hmm. personal lives. Mm-hmm. So it didn't, right. it didn't, it wasn't. Didn't quite figure into the Right, it wasn't into the, it didn't mm-hmm. fit into the equation. But now that we know that certain actors are out mm-hmm. and living their truth mm-hmm. and gay, um, it affects audio, uh, like n- their numbers. It, mm-hmm. it affects the mm-hmm. the spectatorship. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I I just I wish that the 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 scales were a little more balanced, yeah. and that uh, we weren't so scared of losing money because of uh, it, it. Just acknowledges the homophobia within the country. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's something that. Hollywood and Broadway, we need to stand up to right. and say, we're here and yeah. we're, we're, we're proud and it doesn't really matter. And like, we're going to tell authentic, truthful, honest stories. I love that. And that's the most important yeah. thing. Yeah. I hope we get there. I hope we get there. I hope so too. Um, well, I also wanted, before I let you go, I also wanted to talk to you about my new favorite show, uh, Fosse Verdon. Yes, girl. Now, I got to watch it with Lynn Manuel last week on his little yep. couch. He has people on his couch. It's a very comfortable couch. Um, I'm sure. Uh, and sure I've just been living watching Gwen couch. eat the seat. <laughs> it's a really expensive couch. Gwen go off. But you're going to be playing Dustin Hoffman. Yes. Oscar winner, Tony winner. Mm-hmm. What's that like? Ah. It was. It, <laughs> That's pretty cool. Honestly, I was so scared of it. I almost didn't go into the audition. <laughs> what were you scared of? Well, it was because it's it's Dustin Hoffman playing someone else. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm allowed to say. So I'm just going to say it's Dustin. Right, Hoffman. they've hinted at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Dustin Hoffman playing somebody else. So okay. it's just like layers upon layers. Wow. Upon layers. Okay. And they gave me the audition like less than twelve hours in advance. Oh. So I was like, I don't know how to. Find all these layers, but I challenged myself, and okay. I was like, "Clearly, you yeah, did. yeah." And it it worked out, but it was um, it was fascinating. It was, and what I loved about it being on set doing mm-hmm. that was that I brought the like, you know, all the Dustin Hoffman mannerisms mm-hmm. and all of the 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 things that I could see mm-hmm. him doing in the movie that I'm trying to portray. Mm-hmm. Um, but the director let me do a few takes of like my own interpretation mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see what they use. Ooh, I'm excited. I don't know. I love it. I don't know. We'll see. You're right, because I mean, it would, because it's, it's Dustin Hoff. I imagine like behind the scenes when he's just hanging out, but well, also on set, you know. No, no, no. It's, it, well, it's just him on set. <gasps> so it's him playing a character. Oh, so I'm man. playing Dustin Hoffman playing a character. I'm stressed and this already happens. Like yeah, yeah. Like I'm <laughs> like I'm starting to sweat right now. Oh my gosh, and I'm it's so already excited. done. <laughs> you know what I mean? I love it. Well, I'm excited to see you on Thanks, Boo. It's been so good. And I'm excited for everyone to see you at the Tonys. Oh my god. Hopefully some good. I news. hope I look cute. Okay, I'm sure you will. I don't I'm know. sure we'll you will. You're serving this purple royalty moment and Thank I'm you, looking girl. for it. I love Thanks. it. And of course, everyone should see you in Burn This. Yes, please come see Burn This. It's you great. can catch him um and burn this at the Hudson Theater until July 14th. And you better get it, because listen, when these shows are nominated for the Tonys, the tickets kind of get, you know, a little intense. Yep. So you have yep. to cut somebody mm-hmm. for your ticket, but it's worth it. Next week we continue our celebration of the Tonys with two nominees from To Kill a Mockingbird. Ooh. I love that. Up next, Isaac and I are going to read more of your tweets. Welcome back. That was Hi. delightful. Oh yeah, I love it. Those are wonderful to talk conversations. To people. And Fosse Verdon is so good. Yeah. I've been living for it. I Drama, love- children. <laughs> Ooh, drama. Is it a is it a show that you feel like could be bingeable as well at yes. one point? Because that's yeah, the yeah. part for me. It feels like a lot of drama just to get in, and then you have to wait for the next week. The episodes are thick. Okay. To be fair, Ooh. so with lots going on, okay. so you do feel a little like exhausted. Okay. After. So almost you need the. So Break, you maybe. could binge it, okay. but it's, I haven't felt like like I, I'm suffering. I'll never forget. They, Bob Fosse and his it's about Bob Fosse and his wife Gwen Verdon, um, who also collaborated, and they had a fight scene. And um, he, what did she say? 
he was like, have you been, have you even done any acting lately? Like really biting to her when they're like fighting in the kitchen. And she said, I started acting about three hours ago when you walked in here. How was it? Oh. <laughs> and, and, and you know, it's like Michelle Williams. And she says it in a totally, she I've, says I've it like she's just like incredible. She touched her chin once and I almost burst into tears just to watch. <laughs> so anyway, I'm so excited to see Brandon Urowitz in it because everyone who showed up has just been just pretty incredible. I love it. Wow. Okay. Well, Blazer Nefame had this in, uh, question for Isaac after his sit down with Rhett Miller. I, I don't know what this question is going to be. <laughs> even as, oh, even as, a, as an adult, you want to literally kill your siblings, Isaac? Blazer, come on, you man. You said you identify. You're doing the draw. I just meant like that emotional <laughs> impulse that children can sometimes have, that we all have sometimes as adults as well. Not just killing your siblings, just like you know, when you feel that emotion in a very raw way. Like, that's what I think of when I think of being a kid. But no, Blasian, I don't want to kill my siblings, I swear. <laughs> we wanted to know how excited you are for Disney's Aladdin remake. Mousy Core tweeted, I don't think it's only suffering from comparison to the Robin Williams number. It looked like a very special TV event with only one set. The dynamic camera angles were not there. It's just... Flat. Wow. And, and flat is the word. Flat is point. the word for it. And but for also sure. TV. Because listen, listen. The the 1990s TV version of Cinderella with Brandy, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, and Whitney Houston, like smaller, more, but I got my life. If it was like this is for TV, I'd be like, mm -hmm. oh, right on. Yeah, absolutely. Is, and I think that's also when you go back and watch the cartoon. Right. There's not a camera, right? It's all animation. So it's it's just all these different angles. He is moving yeah. through the crowd, everything we were talking about. And this just felt very like, like and also the one set, the one stage. You yeah. really feel I it. I think Disney's just in a creative rut. <laughs> Kirsten Baptiste tweeted this about the new policies on trade tariffs, Disney to trade tariffs. Uh, it's interesting because I just tried to order a couch for my new place and the sales lady told me it would not be in on time because it's taking longer for the materials to come in because of these new Trump policies on overseas materials, shipping and tariffs. And uh, well, to that point, a lot of books yep. are printed in China. Yep. And Yep. That is not insignificant. <laughs> There's a lot of people worried about a lot of different yeah. industries right now, and it's going to be very interesting to see how all this plays out, especially Whee! as it starts to hit people's pocketbooks. Mm. But in the meantime, thank you to our guests, Sarah Yassin, Tabir Akhtar, Sarah Mims, Chris Villani, Chris Johnson, Brandon Uranowitz, and Rhett Miller. What a handsome man. <laughs> All of them. Beautiful people. <laughs> Beautiful gowns, too. Isaac will be off tomorrow. Enjoy that. But I will be back here with Ace Brown at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Except if you're in New York, in which case, just do the best case you can. Maybe it'll clear up. We, can't, we haven't seen outside yet. Maybe I, I asked Brandon, and he said it's, it's not maybe, good. Maybe it's bright <laughs> out now. He just